It's no surprise that updating the electricity grid today will make for a better tomorrow. Increased self-sufficiency is just one of the benefits. The Great Grid upgrade will also boost the economy and create new green jobs. And best of all, you can continue doing the things you love, like watching the latest epic nature documentary or listening to this podcast while caring for the planet too. Find out more at nationalgrid.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat-up old running shoes, Sierra says save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well, then we say you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! Hello, and welcome to the BBC Country Farm magazine podcast. A gentle weekly escape into nature and the countryside from BBC Country Farm magazine. And welcome to the seventh episode of our new season devoted entirely to the wonders of water. My name is Fergus Collins, and I'm the host of the podcast. This time, I'm going to leave you in the company of a veritable water sprite, a man with an unquenchable passion for rivers and their wildlife. That is, angler and writer Andrew Griffiths. Early last summer, he recorded this delightful meandering walk along his local waterways on the Derbyshire-Cheshire border, meeting wildlife and wild people all along the way. Over to you, Andrew. Hello, it's Andrew Griffiths here. And welcome to my latest Countryfile podcast or as they've become known, podcasts, which I think is a rather splendid title for them. And usually my my podcasts are usually just interview-based, but today I'm actually going to be doing some plodding, if I can just make way for the bikes. Here we go. All right. There's a whole flotilla. Can you have a flotilla of bikes? A towpath full of bikes. You all right? Cheers, Paul. Oh, yeah. And they're all just struggling to go under a low canal bridge there. What was I saying? Podcasts. Yes, today a podcast is aptly titled as I go under the bridge now. Because I'm going to take you on a bit of a plod with me. And it's round my hometown of New Mills. All right. It's a small town, New Mills. And it's just on the Derbyshire side of the Derbyshire-Cheshire border. And I'm, the moment I'm walking along the 
Peat Forest Canal and I'm just going to go a short walk along the canal and then I'm going to drop down and I'm going to drop down to the river and then I'm going to walk back into the town of New Mills itself and we're going to meet a few people on the way. And I'm just watching a mallard over there, female mallard with two ducklings, just going behind a hogweed in the canal bank side. She's growing out from between the ferns. And we're now getting close to the marina in New Mills, which I can now see. So it's, the canal has broadened out and the barges are moored at right angles to me and where there's a marina shop. And in the background is the famous Swizzles, the Sweet Factory, which if you've ever visited this area, you will know what they're actually cooking up that day, which will take you back to your childhood probably, whether it's refresher chews or Palmer violets. And it stands there in New Mills like the Taj Mahal. Things should be getting noticeably quieter now. Because we're leaving civilization behind. So as much as you can call a marina at New Mills civilization, of course. And we're leaving the town behind. I'm heading towards the River Goit now. And it's the River Goit that I'm going to take you along. Now the River Goit is it's my favourite river in the sense that it's my home river. And it's what we call a, a post-industrial river in the sense that it was once very polluted with all the local cotton industry and bleaching industry that was in New Mills. And it, it ran extremely polluted. And as I'll tell you later, that there was at one stage, it's only 30, 40 years ago, there was virtually no life in it at all. But now... It's where I do my trout fishing and grayling fishing. And it rises uh, at Axe Edge Moor, which is above Buxton. And it comes down through the Goit Valley. And it flows down, and it flows down ultimately uh, to join the Tame at Stockport, uh, which combine to form the Upper Mersey, and then ultimately out to sea at Liverpool. That's the journey. And we're just going to do a very short section of it today. But it'll just give you some idea of that combination of how nature has taken back the river. And yet, also, there's so many remnants of that industrial past. It's absolutely fascinating. We're passing some barges that are moored up. And I'm just looking at a moorhen now which is just scrambling up some branches out of the canal. And <laughs> you're just scrambling about them on the other side of the canal. And it's just coming, coming towards me. But they have those most enormous green feet. And you would think that somewhere along the line they would have evolved webbing, because it just looks such hard work, with that mechanical bobbing backwards and forwards as they go. Well, they are a lovely bird, though. And I'm just seeing a canal barge now that is really looks like there's a hardcore canal dweller living in there. And they've partitioned off part of the woods next to the canal and they've got all the washing hanging up and they've got bikes strapped to it. And there's nothing quaint or twee about this barge. It looks like it really means a business. Oh, and a camp with a pirate flag as well. Splendid. Hi. Hello.
Well, this is approaching journey's end for me on the canal bit of this now, which I'm quite sorry about. I forget sometimes how much I enjoy walking along canals. So I'm going to turn off the canal now at this bridge and head off down towards the river. So here I am on the bridge now, and they do say about anglers that no angler can cross a river without leaning over and looking in, and I think there's a lot of truth in that, and that's what I'm doing right now. I'm looking down to see that kind of peat stained water, basically to see if I can see any trout. At the moment I can't, but I did see one rise a minute ago just down there, but I mustn't get distracted. I don't think it's just anglers, I think it's everybody is intrigued by rivers, but I think I think two things, I feel two things absolutely passionately about rivers. The first thing that I feel is that most people who, who just, they see a river and they just see it in two-dimensional forms. They see a flat surface. Uh, and I don't think they really have an understanding or, or any comprehension of what is actually going on beneath that surface. And it's absolutely fascinating. The other thing that I think that I feel passionately about is that we shouldn't look at rivers in isolation as something separate from the land around them. It's all part of the same thing. It's all part of the same ecosystem. And we should see it as a part of that landscape, not as something separate. I'm going to be talking to a good angling friend of mine called John Paulding. And he's going to be the first person I meet. Somewhere along here, I will bump into him. That's as close as gets to an arrangement with anglers. Been showing them a caddy scrub. Oh, nice caddy scrub. This guy loves fishing. He does it all the time at home with anything. When I spotted John, he was giving an impromptu river biology lesson to two small children and their mum. I wasn't actually planning to do any fishing today, but well. Seeing John fishing like that has just wet my appetite. I'm afraid, as uh, I believe Mr Wilde once said, that he could resist anything but temptation. So I'm off to tackle up. When I first met John, I was writing a fishing feature for a magazine called The Field. Uh, it's a very traditional magazine, and when I, when I first met him, John was dressed all in tweed. He had a tweed hat, tweed waistcoat, breeches, the works. He looked just like a Scottish ghillie. At first I thought he was, he was taking the mickey out of the magazine because it is a very traditional magazine, but he actually wasn't. That is how he dressed at the time when he was fishing these rivers. These days he's gravitated more to ex-military East European stuff, uh, blended with the tweed. It's a kind of a, a mix between a, a Scottish ghillie and a... East European mercenary, uh, Cold War chic he calls it. I rather like that, Cold War chic. We fish very differently, me and John. I tend to be a very traditional fly fisher. I fish dry flies on short bamboo 
rods, uh, whereas John fishes big two-handed rods and uh, big flies. I'm saying he fishes for all the world like he's fishing for salmon, and there's a very good reason for that. He is. John wants to catch the first salmon out of the River Goit yeah. since the industrial period. And they are in there. We just know it. It was time to take a break with some of my legendary cheese and Branston pickle sandwiches while John told me about his obsession to catch that Goit salmon. Ah, sheer curiosity to see What's you want in? To catch the Mersey salmon. Yes. Well, very specifically, I'd like to catch a river goit salmon. Oh right, okay. Um, which is the Mersey River system. Uh, I've been trying for about 12 years. Um, no salmon as yet, but keep catching large trout and sea trout instead. So it's like it's like trying to find a needle in a haystack with everything against you. Because the need higher water conditions, the right time of year the sun and the stars to be aligned <laughs> and then if you've got all those thing, three things it's probably not interested in your fly anyway. <laughs> it's, it's almost literally being able to put one past its nose where it's just resting and it's just being, you know, that, that being in the right, it's being in the right place at the right time. And what, what's, what's behind it? Why, why is it really, it seems such an ambition with you, such a driving force. <sighs> I think because I've put so much time and effort into now, I, I just can't stop and I, I just enjoy it so much. Um, and it, it fascinates me that they're here. But it also fascinates me that we don't really see them. I've never seen one jump, um, possibly once out of the corner of my eye. Uh, you don't see them rolling and splashing like you do in Scotland. Uh, it's almost like they're not here. You don't see them. It is like almost a mythic. It is. It is almost a myth. And there are lots of urban myths and urban realities of people who have caught salmon on other parts of the river. And I've seen photos in this river. In, in this river. Yeah. Um, and other unlikely rivers in this system. Uh, they are there, but it is. Yeah, it's kind of a cross between an urban myth and uh, finding a needle in a haystack. <laughs> I think, I mean, would it be fair to say that, that, that certainly with my fishing, the kind of fishing that I tend to do, I catch more fish than you? Oh, far more. But when you catch fish, you really do catch fish. You catch these big 24-inch plus fish. And I mean, but you, I mean, you put the time in, don't you? I mean, just, just tell it's me how long you... Hun hundreds and hundreds of hours. I mean, a typical day. Tell me a typical day. A typical day in the summer for me. I would probably start about 12 lunchtime and I might finish at 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. That's a long trip. That's a long day. And not always catching. Not all. I, I can go six weeks, two months without having a touch. Um, and certainly low water conditions like this, I'm more than, you know, you lower your expectations. I'm more than happy for that fish that had a little bit of a nibble at my fly there. You know, I'm almost quite happy with that because the conditions are so against you. But as we discussed earlier... It's that uh, quest. It's partly that quest, but as, as much as of, of that, I enjoy the nature and everything yeah. around you, and you see far more being in the river. Um, I mean, we're looking at a, an old stone wall where the river's been diverted historically. 
Well, you look at the time and effort that somebody's gone into in 1700 or something to build that. Mm. Yeah, it is. It's fascinating. That, that's. Uh, I mean, it's a cliche, but there's more to fishing than the fish, isn't there? I think that's something that I've learned. I think a lot of people learned over the lockdown period was that, of course, we, we, we couldn't fish. And you start to realise quite what a central part it can play in your lives. Would, would you agree yes, with that? Yes, I, I definitely agree with that. It drove me around the bend. Um, you know, I, I missed the fishing, but I missed everything else. I, I missed keeping an eye on the river and seeing the nature and all of those. It's all of those things. Um, if I could go to a piece of river where I could just pull fish out, huge salmon out, one after the other, I, mean, there I probably easy, wouldn't enjoy it. There would be easier rivers to fish. I mean, it's fair to say, even within travelling distance, there's easy, easier rivers to fish, but we still come here. Yes. It's, it's an interesting mixture of urban industrial landscape that's been created by man and you know, historically quite abused. But there's some magnificent architecture if you look, particularly around and actually at the sides of the rivers with all yeah. the old leets and the you know, tunnels that you go goodness knows where. But it's the, the way nature's clawed itself back. Um, yeah. You know, we've seen kingfishers down here on a regular basis. I rarely don't. Yes. Actually, when yeah. I'm fishing. Kingfishers, dippers, wagtails. I rarely don't see those. I know exactly what you mean, John. I feel exactly the same. There's a great satisfaction out of pulling a trout out of these, our human relics of human activity, the industrial yes. past. Yes. And then you're there, it makes for treacherous wading. You're swearing mm. at it half the yes. time because you're breaking your neck almost. Yes. With all the rocks that the, the yes. building materials have fallen into the rivers. Yes. And every, every season it changes slightly with, um, with the, the Todbrook Reservoir. It's changed massively. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you've almost got to relearn the river. Yeah. each season to a, a greater or lesser degree. I mean, there's places last that I regularly caught big fish from two years ago, and I've never had anything out of them the last two years, yeah. last year. Um, I've lost two big ones so far this season, both in places that I wouldn't necessarily have expected. Um, one, certainly. Yeah. Like you were just saying before, it, you really appreciate the changes to the seasons. Yes. But it's, uh... I think that's that's something with spending an awful lot of time regularly on the river. You notice all the very very small changes. You know, the, yeah. you notice the seasons turning. Um, you know, when the hawthorn comes out, when the first wild garlic comes out. It's all of those little things, yeah. um, not just the fishing. I mean, the fishing's a major part of it, but. It's, it's the setting, it's just wonderful. The field's opening out now and there's some lime trees dotted around and uh, the river's on my right and in the long grass there's hogweed and the lilac flowers of some honesty and some red campion. And there's a little pond here on my left. So I'm just gonna go in and have a look at that and it is an absolute cliche pond. Big lily pads on it and the lily flowers are just at their finest, I think. And there's a moorhen at the moment just striding over them, quite sinking in and then coming out. Oh, it's having a run. They're the most, they're the most beautifully ungainly creatures. I just think they're wonderful. The last time I came here, it was actually full of tadpoles, but I'm not gonna go down now because there are people there. We should walk on. Oh, there we go.
right down at the water's edge now. Just looking upstream. Oh, it's a lovely cool draft coming off. It's a warm day, it's getting humid. We've got the thunder forecast, I can believe it. It's cool air just coming off the river. I don't know whether it's the ozone, I don't know what it is, but there's a smell of these things and it just... It's a smell of life. Oh, I've got a dog joining me now. It's a big daffy retriever looking, carrying a red ball. <laughs> Look at your dog lying down in there. <laughs> hey, she's going to lose that ball. Yeah, I know. I usually fish him out when I'm fishing down there, you know, that's what it is. <laughs> get your ball, puppy. Puppy, get your ball. This has been my salvation during this lockdown. The river? Yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah. You live locally? No, I live uh, in Davenport. I'm recording you. Are you okay? It's all right, yeah. You live in Davenport? Well, yes. so you've driven out here? Yes. I've been doing Why this. Why here? I found it by, by fluke. Drove and I saw the brown sign. Really, it's been my salvation. It's not my dog, it's my friend's dog. My bit of heaven for uh, every day where I come mm. and I... Normally, I've got my phone with me. I take lots of photographs mm -hmm. and I post those on Facebook and I see different things as the seasons are developing. Yeah. And if I take a walk the opposite way to normally, then I see something else that I didn't really notice before. Yeah. So your eyes become very aware of the changes going on, they and do. it's fascinating. It is, yeah. isn't it? it yes. Is. Now, I have a nursery for the under fives, and I'm always ch uh, testing my kids to do more and see more than uh, the norm. So uh, in uh, early years education, you have a formula that you have to follow, but I always think outside the box of different yeah. things the kids can do. Yeah. So we have a water project that's going out in Ghana with... Uh, provided water for over 25,000 people last year. Oh, that's Sustainable fresh clean right, water. We have a nature garden at the front of the nursery. And Where, I where's your nursery? It's in the grounds of Wimsall High School. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah, and I want a, a pond there for the children, you know, a big tray. My neighbours have a pond, so I thought I could scoop something out of that and put that in. They could see all, the, all that's uh, actually living inside that bit of water. Just walking upstream now towards New Mills train station and there's a tangle of bramble growth in the bankside and ferns and as John alluded to the tumbled down walls of past efforts to channel the river and it's in those tumbled down walls and amidst those alder roots by the big fish that John's fishing for are hiding out and just waiting the chance. I'm just looking at a tortoiseshell butterfly there. I'm at the beginning of the Millennium Bridge now, which is the entrance into the Tours proper or the Riverside Park. And the Millennium Bridge, it clings like a steel snake to the side of the railway embankment that towers above it. And then there is a river which is fast flowing here, and it's just below the weir. And the weir was originally there for the benefit of Torvale Mill, which is just opposite the Millennium Bridge. And the mill was originally built in the 1780s, it was, and it is the longest continuous period of cotton production in the UK. 
and it didn't actually close finally until the year 2000. But the Millennium Bridge is quite a spectacular structure and I'm walking along it now and it's got this gleaming steel handrail. It's just a footbridge, just a few feet wide. And I'm looking across at the mill itself. You'll be able to hear the restoration work that's going on at the mill that's in progress at the moment. But the architecture is, is, is fascinating. I'm standing above a weir now, and it's one of those longer weirs that comes slopes down at about 45 degrees. And next to it, there's a, a mill leet, and which it was originally was powered by two water wheels. And then in, I think it was 1850s that they added a steam engine. And it didn't actually get powered by newfangled technology like electricity until the 1940s. Well, there's all sorts of theories now. Of course, we're talking about salmon returning to the river and we're talking about the Millennium Bridge that I'm now standing on. Somebody has a theory that it would be a great viewing platform to watch the salmon in the autumn climbing this weir. And I'm standing right over the weir now and I'm looking down at where the leet comes back into the river and there's a small pool formed and that's a favourite hunting ground of our local heron that likes to stand there and I think it's perhaps wait I do sometimes wonder if it's catching fish that come over the weir that are actually stunned momentarily and then it takes its chance when it hits the pool and takes the fish It's a funny place New Mills it's like a town stacked on top of itself. I'm walking into the Riverside Park proper now. And it's a fascinating place because all the, the mill buildings, it's like John was saying, John the angler earlier, it's like nature taking it back. But just enough left to see to be interesting. And of course it's one of the things that I see this as an angler for most of my time is spent walking up the river rather than by the side of the river, if you like, when I'm fishing. And I see a lot of this, the remains of these buildings which have fallen into the river. And it's one of the things that makes it so treacherous to wade as an angler. And yet makes it so absolutely fascinating because we're now catching wild trout that, that, that are living amongst these. It's, it's become habitat for wildlife. I'm standing at the main weir now in the tours, which is at Tor Mill. There's not a great deal left of the mill now, as after it had a succession of fires, and the last one being at the uh, just near the beginning of the last century, when uh, which finally did for it. But it has left these ruins, and beside the weir, there is what is New Mill's one of its most famous modern attractions, which is a hydroelectric power unit which is a reverse Archimedes screw and it was one of the first that was installed in the UK in, in 2008. It's interesting when you look into the history of these things and you, you look at the fortunes of these mills and it's worth noting that the, the, the big storms that we're getting now and the, the, the big waters, the big high waters coming down the rivers, they're not unique events. Uh, there was the great storm of 1872 which washed away a whole mill and a, a series of buildings and two weirs. But the only casualty then were two cows. 
I've taken a slight detour up a tributary of the River Goit now, uh, the River Set, just about a quarter of a mile and it's to the Salem Mill which is actually where the story of the town began, where the first corn mill was built in, I think it was the 1390s. And things have got altogether wilder. I'm here to meet Amy Roberts and a three-year-old daughter, Ivy. Amy's a town councillor and I first met her last year when I organised a bit of a meeting down here with her and a few of the other councillors. I was showing them round the river. Today I wanted to bring her back and show her how the big storms that we'd had last year have changed the flow of the river. And then we were going to do some kick sampling. I took Amy back to the spot I'd shown her last year. Wait, 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 stop her, stop her, stop her, stop Oh, there, 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 there. Do you see? Look at them all shooting, do you see? The trout there. Did you see them go? Oh, they've gone now. That's the spot. If you come down here... Did you see them? Did you see them, Amy? If you come down here, that's the spot there. Now this, I was about to say, I was really chuffed about this because... You know, it's nearly a year since we had that meeting down here, practically exactly yeah. a year. Yeah. Oh, where does it go? I have absolutely no idea. Yes, it was a year since we came down. And at that time, I'd organised a bit of a meeting, and Amy came down as one of the councillors, and there's a couple of local councillors, and somebody from our local wildlife trust. And we were actually talking, because this river is wonderful, because it has just been left. It is just full of wood, full of trees come down. The tree falls in, it's just left. And we were saying, and we were talking, we were telling you, weren't we, about how it makes good habitat if you do that. And just after that was the one in a hundred year storm event when Todbrook happened and the dam wall threatened to breach and we had to evacuate Worthy Bridge Town, if you remember. So really the water was absolutely piling through. And I'm really chuffed to be able to bring you back today. You see that fish surfacing over there then, in that area, down there? because I feel slightly vindicated, or very vindicated, because the spot where all the wood has gone in the river has created the most superb fish-holding habitat, and it is full, it is stuffed with trout. And I call that a result. And this is what happens when you just leave things. She's nearly in the river. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I thought you were in there. <laughs> Come Margaret, on. Are you not listening to my very serious talk? Mm, I'm being no. really, really serious <laughs> here. And she's clambering down the bankside trying to get it. I think she's trying to follow those trout. Did you see them? There, there, there. Do you see it going down the river? Yeah. Did you see those, Ivy? There are little, they're like tiny, they're only about six inches long, these trout, but they're, they're like. They're like shards of glass yeah. shattering, I always think, when you see them, as soon as you see them. But I tell you, you know, they've got eyes almost on the back, they can almost go... So what's your role on the council then, Amy? Why, why were you down here that, that day? Why, why do you take an interest when I was saying that I wanted to talk about the river and that? Do you know, I really can't remember. <laughs> we were quite new councillors at the time and someone tra from Transition mentioned that they were going and someone on the council mentioned that they were going. And So Transition, I've, that's a transition group that you're a part of, a new, new mills. mills. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is working to... Really, at the moment, 
um, working to make a more resilient community in light of the climate crisis. Yeah. So uh, once New Mills Town Council had declared the climate emergency, with the help of transition, sort of getting that on the agenda, um, both myself and my husband Sam, who are in transition and on the town council, just said yes to anything really that was finding out more about our local environment, uh, finding out more about the ways community could get involved in looking after the environment. Yeah. And so somehow, I don't remember who was contacted first, but somehow we ended up as the tagalongs you, on you, you found the out walk. <laughs> and it was brilliant. It was absolutely it's, it's, it's brilliant. My but it's, yeah, um, absolutely fascinating. And we, I certainly haven't looked at a river the same way since. In fact, I'm about to write a dissertation on rivers because... Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> you, you, you're, you're, you're a teacher by trade and yeah. you're studying for a master's at the moment, part-time, aren't you? What, yeah. What's that in? Uh, so it's a master's in sustainability, which right. is hugely varied, hugely broad, um, but we're coming up to the dissertation stage now um, and, yeah, natural flood management is is my dissertation topic which I wouldn't again a year ago I wouldn't have said no, that's, that, I mean. <laughs> that's the path I would have gone down an horrible sense this of responsibility now I hope you pass well I'm a very suggestible person this is the thing somebody says why don't you be a town councillor and I think yeah okay or well, you know why yeah. don't you go for a walk by the river yeah okay and whatever yeah, people are passionate about really the is next thing you know you're there what's the most yeah. interesting but it, I think what I really find interesting about your approach is that you've got social science background haven't you yeah, Whereas so my background is kind of all back. I mean, I love this. I mean, I've just been into the tours and I like the tours, but there is that kind of compromise that has to be made between the history side, the industry archaeology side, yeah. and you can't let it go quite... I mean, I'm, what we're looking at here now, I've got this, I've got this small <laughs> river that Ivy is rearranging the stones in at the moment. All these natural storm events that have produced these gravel banks and Ivy is just slowly putting them all back in the river, which is fine, keep going. The trees, we're looking at trees falling down, the willow mm -hmm. trees that are overhanging the river. We're, I mean, it looks, there are a lot of people who would look at this and just think, that looks a complete and utter mess. Yeah. And they would. Yeah, of course. And but when you, if, you, if you saw that in the middle of the tours, some people would think, that is just real, that is a real mess. Right, um, and, and definitely since becoming a councillor, you have to have a real appreciation of balance. Councillor, how did that happen? You not, you don't. I mean, you're like, excuse me, you don't look like a typical. <laughs> I associate with a typical councillor. Uh, I know we're not here to be political, but just this idea of if you if you want to help things to improve or help things to change, you're going to have to roll up your sleeves at some point on some level and get involved. Which really started. We did some third party campaigning in the 2017 election. We made a lot of friends within the town through that, through being really active. And one of them then suggested, well, perhaps you should get involved with the local council, which is completely apolitical as far as I'm concerned. Um, and, yeah, carry on just trying to improve things, especially when you've got children. You do feel the weight of this responsibility to not necessarily yeah, save the world, but to do yeah, what you yeah, can, yeah. Um, you know, to, to hold your head high in their eyes and yeah. say, you know, we've, we've tried hard here to, to make a difference. Um, which sounds really pretentious. <laughs> no, it, it, it was a question I was going to ask you. It doesn't. I mean, I, I, I just, just merely being in, in in Ivy's presence makes me feel similar. And I'm being serious. It does around yeah. people start thinking, what are we doing? Yeah. You know, well, we're, we're at a real crunch time yeah, now. As, as yeah, a... so it's, it's, I mean, I can't imagine how much more you must feel like if it is actually your own yeah. child. Yeah. 
Yeah, and you know, they give you they give you relentless optimism, relentless hope, yeah. but every now and again you do just have this wide-eyed moment of wow. And then landing lots of balsam, but the roots wouldn't come out. The roots wouldn't come out. So what we've got here, Ivy, is a big tray. Well that, well that. And that's got some, it's already got a spider in it, look. We've got some water out the river in that. We've got a bucket, we've got some water in. And, and we've got... That, and that water is green. In what? That water is green. Green in colour. Well, that's good straight out of the river. <laughs> she gone, she's not gone over. She's all right. So what I'm doing is loosening the stones and I'm moving upstream. I'm just getting into the gravel. And then the fine net will hopefully, well that's the plan, catch the bugs as they come down. Shall we see what we've got? Oh, I can see something moving. Oh, I think we've caught a caseless caddis. There you go, there's some nymphs whizzing around, can you see? Yeah, Ivy, there's quite a lot in here. I saw! <laughs> you see, you've been there, done that. I'm going to give this one back into the water. I think that one wants to go home. Yeah. Fine. Nymph liberation. Good girl. Don't get your feet wet. Yeah. You're not interested in this one. Yeah, I said, that is miracle of nature you're looking at there. Look, the miracle of nature, Ivy. <laughs> I'm not She's like, yeah, but that one sucks blood. <laughs> Have you got Ball that emerging one? A what now? Oh, the one that was coming. Hang on, where is it? Each is what? There you go, Ivy, miracle of. Miracle of life. Ah, it's not <laughs> making me happy. It's not making you happy. I, I just like that leech. I just want to look at the leech. It was lovely introducing Ivy to the life of the river. It's a real privilege to do that with children, I think. To show them those first signs of life when they didn't even know there was anything living in there. It's absolutely superb to do and superb to see the reaction to it. And as Amy said, it, it's, it's a responsibility. And you do tend to think about the future, particularly today when there's so much happening with the climate change and with the pandemic, of course. It's such an uncertain future. But I can't help but think that the more that we introduce kids to, to wildlife and the wonders of life, even just right on your own doorstep like this is, this is not in some far away, far flung corner of the world, this is just outside an urban town and there's real wilderness here and you can't help but think if we introduce children to this then going forward they might look after it for themselves and we have an obligation to look after it for them I think and we should all just think on a bit about that in my opinion. Well that was the wonderful Andrew Griffiths giving us the most delightful tour of his local river the River Goit. Um, and I love the fact that he met all those random people and he also had a few guests along. It all felt so natural and um, he's really a lovely treasure to have in our podcast team. Talking about podcast teams, 
Smooth. Joined again. <laughs> joined again in the podcast studio by Hannah and Jack, who help me produce and create this podcast. So lovely to see you both again, as ever. We're going to delve into the podcast post bag, and we're also going to have a little listen to a wonderful sound of the week. Who would like to kick off with a delve into the post bag? Well, I have this week's long distance listener of the week, and I think it is a record. Hooray. Hooray. We've had a message from Andrea Rolf, who's in New Zealand. She just wanted to let us know that she listens to the podcast every morning when she's walking her dog. It creates images of the landscape and is quite absorbing. It's the perfect way to start her day. Lovely. Fantastic. I don't think you can get further away than Hamilton in New Zealand. I think that's our longest distance, listener. Yeah, yeah. Where, where can be longest, do you think? I suppose Antarctica. We've got to push for an Antarctica. If, if, if anyone ever listens to the podcast in Antarctica, in Antarctica, which is easy for me to say, <laughs> please do get in touch because you'll be the winner. But for now, Andrea is, our, I think, our longest distance listener. So thank you, Andrea. And I hope you keep listening. And Andrea, if you want to get in touch again, do please tell us what kind of dog you have. Fantastic. Jack, how about you? Anything in the post bag that raised your eyebrows this month? Well, I uh, fished deep into the bag. We have a letter from Craig Campbell. Craig just wanted to drop us a line. Uh, he said he's been listening to the the podcast and started with the Holy Well episode, which was number 86. That's true. The second episode of this particular series. Yeah, Yeah. so that's where to find it. And by the looks of it, he's a gardener as he mentions that he was clearing a customer's garden and uh, was listening to the podcast whilst he was doing it. And it really took him away from the job. He says how much he found it so enjoyable and made the job such a pleasure and an ease to finish, which, I mean, that's a compliment in itself. If you can make a clearing twigs fun. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, he sent us a lovely photo by the look of things. And uh, thank you very much, Craig. So that's a little taste of the podcast post bag. Did we get any sounds of the week in? Yes, we did. We've had an intriguing sound sent in to us from Claire Bennett in Coventry. Let's have a listen. I this is a very familiar noise to most of us across the UK this week. It's the sound of breaking ice. And this particular ice was broken by Claire's son, Reggie, age 10. So thanks very much, Reggie, for recording this for us. So if you're feeling inspired by Reggie and you want to send in your sound for Sound of the Week, it can be recorded on a phone, whatever's handy to you, and uh, use a service such as WeTransfer to uh, send it over to us via the email editor at countryfile. Dot com. Perfect. You know, we love to get them and they're so much fun to listen to. And we'll have more next week. We've got a really special one from very far away. And before we go, we've had a review on Apple Podcasts. We have many reviews on Apple Podcasts, but this one stood out. It's a three-star review and um, it's quite short. It's from Booble Wooble 123. And Booble Wooble 123 says, Podcast is great if you live in Somerset. How about the North? And I get, I mean, obviously quite a few of our podcasts are local to us or local to the people that we can uh, get to record them. So obviously this particular podcast you've just heard is in Derbyshire and we've been up north with Kenneth. 
um, during lockdown, it's so frustrating. We just want to get out and explore and see more of the wide world and wonderful nature. So we will be getting out further afield. Bear with us, Booble Wooble and everyone else, and we'll try to explore further afield as spring comes along. And that's it for this week. Don't forget to tune in next week where we talk about the folklore of rivers and oceans. And if you need a nature fix before then, listen to Friday's Sound Escapes for five minutes of peace and beauty in the countryside.